Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. Well, 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 I thought we might have a second mixed bag episode in a row to close out the week And it looks as if I was right. As I mentioned in the last podcast, I did attend a Zoom call with Monty McCutcheon, head of NBA referee training and development, along with roughly 30 or so of my esteemed NBA covering colleagues. I think it's also safe to say I was the only one attending who isn't primarily an NBA beat writer. I didn't look at every name on the participation list, but that was my general impression. I went largely because of the subject matter, how the officials plan to curb what is deemed non-basketball moves by offensive players, the common one being jump shooters throwing themselves or contorting their bodies in order to collide with defensive players in the act of shooting. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I got extremely tired of watching guys launch themselves into defensive players who had left their feet not really taking a normal jump shot, but simply trying to create that contact. And I want to know how they're going to address that for two reasons. One, so that as I'm watching games, I don't unnecessarily gnash my teeth over calls that I consider missed or incorrect, as I have pretty much for the last couple years. Now, I'm sure I'll still have reason to gnash my teeth this season, but maybe just not as much. Two, it will allow me to answer your questions or explain why a foul was or wasn't called in a particular situation. That is what you should understand right from the start. 
how the game is called by the league's 75 referees comes from on high. Focus, emphasis, all of it comes from countless video examples, direction, and review. It doesn't mean every call is what the league wants, but no referee is unilaterally making decisions about how a game should be called. That wasn't always the case, but today it is. That level of inflexibility, I might add, is what makes it a challenge for today's refs, especially the young ones, to foster healthy relationships and interaction with players and coaches. The latter don't want to hear that a call was made because that's how the league wants it called. When you're on the floor talking to a coach or a player, they want you, referee, Johnny on the spot, to make the fairest call in the moment, to make the right call, the right, it's like non-basketball play, basketball play. Make the right call. And sometimes that might mean straying from exactly how the league wants something in particular called. So then that puts the referee in a bind. And when it comes to who they're going to listen to more, it's going to be the league because that's who signs their checks. There were a couple of interesting comments that Monty made before we got into studying various clips that I found interesting. The first thing was, NBA players are masters at exploring the limits of the rule book. In other words, the referees see the players, and I believe rightly so, as hackers trying to break through company firewalls. In this case, it's finding ways to do things on the court that because of how the referees are instructed to interpret the rule book, create a loophole or competitive advantage for them. Another thing he said that jumped out at me, we want flow and so that each side of the ball has equal opportunity to play with skill. Though I'm sure he didn't intend it, that is a bit of a contradiction. If I am to play my best defense, I don't want flow. I want to restrict your movement however I can, or at least make it predictable. Now, he could have been talking about flow in two different ways. I acknowledge that. One of them simply is, we don't want the game to slow down. We don't want to call, we don't want to blow the whistle all the time. We want to have a natural flow to the game. But he wasn't clear on that. And to a certain extent, again, as a defender, even if it means in certain situations, fouling or slowing the game down in that way with infractions, if that... Uh, impedes the offense, if it slows it down, it makes things difficult, then that is something as a defender that I am going to do. Uh, there's no, in essence, there's no, es there's no way to create equal opportunity with skill. How much leeway you give me to crowd an offensive player, use my body to annoy him, use my hand place placement to distract him, goes a long way toward me being an effective defender. No matter how athletic I might be, the offensive player has an advantage in a pure foot race because he gets to decide when it starts. Money also made a point of saying that what they're doing this season is not a change in the rule book, but merely an interpretation. That's where so much of what the league does lands, in the gray area that isn't written. That's what a good deal of officiating constitutes. That's why anyone who says, I just want them to call the game by the book, 
doesn't really understand the game or officiating. Not in a real, visceral sense. In order to call the game by the book, the rule book would have to be about 20,000 pages to cover every circumstance and define every situation that a referee might encounter during the course of a game. And even then, I'm pretty sure something would pop up at some point that isn't covered in the book. Interpretation is part of officiating on every level. If you've never had to run the floor or a field and blow a whistle, it's unlikely you know what I'm talking about, which is okay. Just don't pretend to know what you're talking about. As the kids like to say, you might want to sit this one out. What McCutcheon and the league want to eliminate, pure and simple, are offensive players throwing themselves into defensive players to draw fouls, particularly shooting fouls. The plan is to adjudicate those in this manner. If the offensive player angles his body into the defensive player in a way that is not a natural shooting motion, and the contact prevents the defender from having any chance of defending the shot, or in Monty's words, continue normal play, it will be ruled an offensive foul. That doesn't mean the defender has to fall down, Monty emphasized. I took it to mean if they're thrown off balance or simply staggered in a way that momentarily freezes them, that would qualify. If the offensive player creates contact with an unnatural motion and the contact is minimal, as in he tries to draw a foul with a non-basketball move but only makes minimal contact, it will be considered a non-call. Monte stressed that they're not looking to take away free throws, but they do want to maintain as much flow and continuity to the game as they can. If the shooter goes up, but is able to create contact without contorting his body and takes a reasonably normal shot, then that will be a defensive foul. I noted that sometimes when a shooter pump fakes, and Monty said, we don't want to to lose the pump fake. We're not trying to legislate the pump fake out of the game. Uh, Still want to use that. Just want the shooter to use it and then go into a shooting motion as opposed to pump fake, get the defender up in the air and then find a way just, you know, depending on on the, how the defender jumps, no matter how the defender jumps to find a way to run into him. That's what they want to get rid of. So when a shooter pump fakes and gets a defender up in the air and he knows he's going to get hit or landed on and instinctively protects himself a bit, it alters his normal shooting motion. So I noted that to Monty, and he said that that would still be considered a defensive foul as long as the shooting motion itself wasn't altered to create the contact. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. If all that leaves you with questions, well, that's what I mean about the rule book being open to plenty of interpretation. I'm trying to give you in words something that is really better explained visually. And even then, you're going to get a thousand variables. We watched a dozen or so clips. The League 75 referees, when introduced to this new emphasis, watched more than 250. And Monty said there were plenty in which referees had differing opinions on which of the three calls should have been made. He fully admitted that at the start, there may be a call in Detroit on Wednesday that doesn't match up with a call in Charlotte on Friday. And I appreciated his honesty on that. I was surprised that James Harden was not featured more prominently in the example clips that McCutcheon showed. In fact, he didn't show up, Harden that is, until the very last clip. And it was used to illustrate how Harden hooked Norman Powell's arm, which they're now going to get rid of, but Powell actually fouled Harden first by putting his arm across Harden's chest in a way to impede his movement. I asked Monty about that later, about Harden not being as involved as I would have expected him to be in the clips, and he said, in so many words, it was a reflection of how rampant the practice had become. And that may have been the biggest catalyst. The clips not only featured Luka Doncic, Steph Curry, Donovan Mitchell, Kyrie Irving, Trey Young, and Paul George, but also had one of Luguentz Dort. The message seemed to be that when the Luguentz Dorts of the league start perfecting the art of non-basketball moves, it's gone too far. So these are the primary non-basketball moves that we were shown that the league, Monty says, is making a point of wanting to abolish. Jumping sideways or backward or abnormally forward to create contact. Twisting the body in a clearly unorthodox shooting motion to create contact. Leg kicks on pull-up jumpers to make contact. Hooking one arm underneath the defender's and then rising up to take a shot, and making an abrupt change of direction that results in a collision with a defender. What will still be allowed is coming off or around a screen and abruptly stopping to take a shot, veering in the path of a defender from behind to force him to slow down or risk running into the offensive player, and rip-throughs, where a player swings the ball across and up into a defender's outstretched arm when he's silly enough to stick it out. Monty said that the league feels it has lowered the number of times the rip-through is utilized by refusing to make it a shooting foul, but he also hinted at the fact that they could try to eliminate it altogether in the future. 
it basically indicated that the real reason it's not on the agenda now is that they, they didn't want to put too much on the referee's plates at one time. This was also one of my general takeaways in hearing Monty describe what the referees will be looking for in these plays. If the offensive player uh, pushes off laterally with his outside foot in order to get in front of a defender and have that defender run up his back, that's going to be an offensive foul. If he's veering, if he's just curving, then it's a defensive foul. Also, if the defender is chasing the offensive player recklessly or in a way causes him that causes him to be a little off balance or he's just running a little too hot you know when 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 somebody's playing frenetic defense and they're just a, they're looking a little wild that in those cases more often than not the foul is going to be called on the defender even if the offensive player looks like he took advantage of the defender being a little wild basically benefit of the doubt in such cases is going to go to the offensive player the funniest unintentional line was when Monty showed a clip of Kyrie Irving making a move that caused Raul Neto to run into him from behind a move that Monty deemed as an acceptable basketball move Neto's guilt being compounded Monty said by the fact that he was not in control of his body this was the line though Kyrie Irving is just trying to dictate the terms of the relationship with the defender. And I immediately thought, Kyrie Irving is trying to dictate the terms of his relationship with everybody. Anyway, I was amused in the moment. I didn't say anything, but I was amused. I'm going to close with this, largely because it involves something I've discussed. Stephen A. Smith indicated on ESPN two days ago, that Brooklyn Nets GM Sean Marks was interested in possibly trading Kyrie Irving to the 76ers for Ben Simmons, but that Kevin Durant absolutely re refused to let it happen. I took note of it because it was not exactly what I said, but similar to something that I had suggested in a previous podcast. A day later, Stephen A. on Twitter accused anyone who suggested he said that Nets GM Sean Marks was interested in trading Kyrie Irving to the 76ers for Ben Simmons, but that Kevin Durant absolutely wouldn't let it happen. Anybody who suggested that that's what he said, they were liars. That what he actually said was if Sean Marks proposed doing that, KD would absolutely refuse to let it happen. I think he's a little confused. And I'm not going to recite Stephen A's actual words. I'm the one who said if Sean Marks proposed doing that, KD would absolutely refuse to let it happen. If you want to know exactly what Stephen A. said, you can find the clips pretty easily if you're so inclined. Both of his original words and what he, what he says he said. I bring this up because words matter. So does acknowledging when you misuse words. Stephen A. made it sound as if KD was presented with the idea of Kyrie being traded and said absolutely not. Stephen A. gave no indication that he was talking hypothetically. He made it sound as if he was there, as if KD himself told him what his response was or someone who was there did. 
He basically made himself sound as if he knew more than he actually did. And it's easy to do in any conversation, but especially on TV, where being authoritative and speaking with certitude is rewarded, even if you're wrong. That's why, in one respect, I have complete sympathy for Stephen A. It happens. If you're on TV as much as he is, there are times you are going to speak out of turn or go too far in trying to make a point. And I don't blame him. He has a persona now to live up to, and that would make anyone take it too far at times. But let's be clear, that's what he did. And when that happens, don't claim people misheard what you said. At the very least, split the difference and say they misunderstood what you meant to say. Or better yet, that you should have used your words more carefully and didn't intend to give the wrong impression, which was that KD actually responded to a trade that was actually on the table. I talked about the same deal because I could imagine Sean Marks entertaining it. I talked about it right here on this podcast. But I prefaced it by saying it would never get to the point of actually being proposed because Sean would know that KD would never go for it. And I used it as an example that Marks does not have a free hand to build the Nets any more than Rob Palenka does with the Lakers. I don't know when accusing listeners and viewers of being liars when they repeat or share something that is said on TV or radio by someone became the standard. But it's not helping rebuild the trust between the general public and the media. And that is not good for anyone in the media including the person pretending they didn't say what they said. Or maybe, especially, if karma has anything to do with it. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I've said it before, but I'll say it once again. It does help the podcast. It helps me. It helps my sponsors if you do rate and review the show. I don't know where in the metrics those things matter, but I'm told that they do. So if you do me a solid and rate and review the show, I would appreciate it. As for what's coming in the next episode, well, we have the opening of training camp. And the way the last week has gone, there's a very good chance that something's going to happen on the eve of training camp. And whatever it is, we will cover it here. In the meantime... As always, thanks for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.